Once again, we hear the Old Testament lesson from Isaiah, chapter 27, verses 1 through 6. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. In that day, the Lord with His hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and He will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it, I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together. Or let them lay a hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall root, take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. The New Testament lesson comes from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 12. You can find that on page 1003 of your Pew Bibles. Once again, we hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11, through chapter 6, verse 12. This too is the word of God. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God, to their own harm, and holding them up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if he bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The word of God so far, let us pray that God will bless the preaching of it. 
Heavenly Father, help us to hear Your Word this morning in all its respects. Help us to hear Your Word uh, convicting us of sin through the law, and also help us to hear Your Word, the Word of the Gospel, convicting us of eternal life in Christ alone. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Congregation of Christ and Friends, the passage before you is very difficult. The author warns those in the church that they may fall away from God. We have to ask the question, how can this be when other passages so clearly state that you can't fall away from God? That is, that nothing, no one, will separate you from the love of Christ. Well, the sermon will address what is an apparent contradiction in the scriptures. That is, there's no contradiction at all. In fact, you and the church can take great comfort in this passage because the author in total is preaching Christ to you, which alleviates any fear of being lost. One of the Old Testament passages that mirrors this in a way is Isaiah chapter 27, our Old Testament passage. God promises that he will take care of his vineyard. His church, that's you. Well, a bit of an overview, the author's words in this chapter are situated in the larger context of chapters 5 through 10, in which the author focuses on the high priestly work of Christ. The author states in her passage that it is a challenge to preach to the church about this work of Christ because they have become dull of hearing. By dullness, he means apathy, towards the teaching of the scriptures. The church, or at least some of the church, have digressed so much that they must be taught the basics of the Christian faith all over again. Therefore, the author exhorts the church to mature in their understanding of the scriptures, that is, of the teachings of Christ. This exhortation includes a warning that they could fall away from God, that is, apostatize. But the author also encourages the church preaching to them about the fact of salvation in Jesus Christ. The very work of Christ will keep them in the faith. So, first in the sermon, you understand that false Christians in the church remain in their uh, immaturity and eventually apostatize. Second, true Christians mature in the faith as the work of God in Christ is their only hope. They're not their hope. Christ is their hope. So, the author here is saying that there may be false Christians in the church. And the author uses three vivid metaphors to describe the profile of someone who may be a false Christian. The feeding of an infant, the building of a house, and the cultivation of a field. The first metaphor of a feeding infant relates to the problem of immaturity. And the second metaphors of the house and the field relate to the problem of apostasy, that is, leaving the faith. The author here says that he finds it hard to explain to them more advanced theology, that is, the advanced theology of the priesthood of Christ. And this is because some in the church, many in the church, who knows, have become dull, lazy, And this advanced theology is not just for those who are looking to get a PhD in theology. It's for everyone, without exception. The author says these people ought to be teachers by now. 
That is, that they should be able to explain, to articulate theology to one another or to those outside of the church. But they still need to be taught the basics of the Christian faith. It's like knowing their ABCs. They don't know their ABCs. They need to know those ABCs. And by ABCs, the basics of the Christian faith, he means such things as the nature of God, the Trinity, the natures of Jesus Christ, uh, the uh, nature of the atonement, just the very basic things of the Christian faith. The oracles of God and the word of righteousness refer to the scriptures which teach these very things. These teachings provide the foundation of true belief, which is tested by discerning between good and evil. Those who believe truly and live according to that truth in this world are said to have eaten solid food. Those who fail to understand these basics still need milk. So you see what the author is doing here is he's lovingly mocking those in the church. It would be silly and outrageous to see a grown adult drinking from a baby bottle. If this happened, anyone could see that there's clearly something wrong with the person. There's a serious problem here. Well, how much more with those in the church who do not have a basic grasp on the nature of Christ and salvation through him? That is, they don't fit. There's something wrong. The church must have, to be sure, non-Christians who are visiting to hear the law and the gospel in order to be saved. And, of course, they won't know the basics. But if the church's membership is characterized by those who don't know the basics, it's as silly as an adult walking around drinking milk from a baby bottle. This is one reason why the church must have formal membership. The sheep are rightly shepherded, and those who do not yet know Christ will be lovingly exhorted to know Christ and not to have false assurance that they're okay with God. The church to which the author speaks in this passage has members who are ignorant of the basics of the Christian faith. If they continue not to care about learning, then there's a real problem with their faith. They may have false faith unless they repent. In fact, if the people don't know the basics of the Christian faith, they fit the profile of a false Christian in the church. Because of their laziness, those in the church are not maturing beyond the basics. They could e- this could easily lead to the further and more serious problem of apostasy. Well, what is apostasy? Apostasy, very simply, is rebellion against God. It is to abandon faith in Christ. It is the opposite of repentance, right? Repentance is turning from sin to God. Apostasy is turning from God to sin. Apostasy, though, is rarely a sudden occurrence in a person's life, as if they woke up one day and said, I'm going to apostatize. Usually, it is something that happens gradually over time. In this context, apostasy happens through laziness with respect to knowing the teachings of the scriptures. So the issue of laziness or dullness is connected with the issue of apostasy by the word therefore in chapter 6, verse 1. The author is saying that the people must mature beyond the basics. The elementary doctrine of Christ, which is the same thing as not laying again a foundation 
of repentance from dead works, and so on. To leave the elementary doctrine of Christ doesn't mean that they are to forget the basics, obviously. Rather, they are to hold on to those things and build upon them. If they don't do this, if they don't mature in this way, the author argues, they may very well apostatize. The author makes this point by the second metaphor of building a house. When you build a house, you lay the foundation first. Everyone knows that, even me who knows nothing about construction. You have to build the foundation first and then you build the rest of the house. Once the house is completed, it would be impossible to relay or to put in a foundation. After all, you can't hold up the house and then slide in a foundation. That's impossible. This would only be an issue if upon completing the house, you found that the foundation was no good or there was no foundation at all. If the foundation was proven to be corrupt or if there's no foundation, then the house is no good. And it must be torn down or it will just fall down eventually. Everybody understands that. So this house without a foundation or a bad foundation, in essence, is a false house. It may look fine on the outside, but it is corrupt to the core. Likewise, if those in the church have an insufficient understanding of the faith, or no basic understanding of the faith, then they don't have the essential foundation that they need, and they'll fall away. This is what the author means when he says that you cannot lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. All of these are the basic issues that a Christian must understand when he or she comes to confess faith in Christ. For instance, repentance from dead works refers to the proper understanding of true repentance and faith alone in Christ. It's not works, in other words. The author's point in using the metaphor of building a house is that if you don't have a basic understanding of the Christian faith and you don't care to, then you may be well on your way to apostasy. That is, you're a house without a foundation and you will fall. So the author goes on to state this in no uncertain terms in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 6. He says, For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. A house without a foundation can be finished and look true. So it is with someone in the church who actually is not God's elect and does not have true faith. They can look like a Christian and even experience the grace of God to a certain extent, but they are a false Christian. That is, as the author is saying, the person who is actually not God's elect can have a knowledge and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's possible. All of the terms he uses in these verses are different expressions for the one event of salvation. This person, then, to which the author refers is not one of God's elect, but someone who has only experienced the grace of the gospel on a very superficial level. The person is finally fallen away.
And to fall away here means to have made a firm commitment to leave Christ in the church. It is to abandon the faith, to rebel against Jesus, His Father, and the Holy Spirit. Such a person cannot be restored again to repentance. Why? He has crucified once again the Son of God to His own harm, holding Him up to contempt. That means the person no longer claims the work of Christ for himself, but actually openly repudiates it. As if he were one of the hardened people hurling insults and curses at Jesus Christ at the cross, not believing that that blood was for him. And so the third metaphor of the field applies here. The person who has rejected the faith is like a barren field. This field has received sufficient rainfall and has been cultivated, but it has not produced a crop. The evidence of its worthlessness is the lack of fruit. And so it is with the person who has apostatized. He or she has heard and believed the gospel, but there's no evidence through the works of gratitude in their life. Works that say, I love God and will follow Him. And I love my neighbor and will help him or her. None of that is true. So brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a warning to the church today. It is possible to fall away from God and leave the church as Satan deceives you. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, you can remain like children, not growing to mature adulthood. You can remain like children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Bad theology is very destructive. And that's what Satan uses as a great weapon against you. And you can become dull of hearing, lazy, and begin to drift away, and then you fall away because you don't care about hearing the Word of God or the Christ who speaks through that Word. It's very important to say that this is a reality. It's not a hypothetical uh, position here. This is a reality. But we must make a very important distinction here. Those who are God's elect, those who have been justified, those who have been united to Christ by His Spirit, will never finally fall away. They will not ultimately become dull, and they will not apostatize. Again, we think about God's promises in Isaiah chapter 27 about the vineyard. It is God who tends the vineyard. It's God who defeats the enemies. It is God who takes care of His people. Those in the church who do finally fall away only have what we call temporary faith. That is, they have a faith that is apparent. They confess Christ. There is some evidence of the Spirit's work in their life, through gifts perhaps, that's what the author means here, but they don't have a true faith. And Jesus points this out in the Gospels, uh, in particular in Mark chapter 4, in the parable of the sower. Listen to what he says. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises in the account of the world, or the word, immediately they fall away. And so this is an appropriate parallel text because those in the church here we're facing great persecution. 
they were going through trials. Maybe sometimes they were just bored. That can be a sort of a trial too. Or they were tired of hearing the Word of God. And they fell away. And so what happened is when the heat was turned up, it was found out that they actually had temporary faith. It wasn't a true faith. It was a temporary faith. And those who actually did fall away were never God's elect in the first place. It's very important to understand. Those who finally fall away are not God's elect. This is what uh, John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. See, what John is doing here is he is speaking to the very important reality of a visible church that has membership, that takes care of the saints, has all the marks of the church. So it may be clear to those who are in the church that they have comfort, and those who are not members of the church do not have comfort. And if those who are in the church and they believe for a time and then fall away, he says they were not of us, meaning that they weren't ultimately God's elect. So those who fall away, in essence, are the reprobate, those who are not chosen by God in the first place. And for whatever reason, they come into the church, they're attracted by some things, but they're not attracted by the right thing of the Word of God and the Christ of that Word. But brothers and sisters, these things are not true of you. That's what the author says to his church and to your church here. You do care. Your house does have a foundation. You believe the basics of the Christian faith and care to deepen in them. Your land has produced a crop. That is, there are evidences of gratitude in your life. All these things demonstrate that you are God's elect. That your sins have been washed away. That the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you. And that the Holy Spirit has united you to Jesus Christ and you sit with Him right now in the heavenly places. And so you've been baptized with Christ, right? That means baptized into Christ. And your baptism signs and seals the promises of God. It doesn't sign and seal your own work. It signs and seals the promises of God. God's elect then have no fear of falling away from God. If you do fear, Jesus says to flee to Him, to believe in Him, and He will not reject you. Therefore, we have to ask the question, because truly this is a passage really of hope and comfort, if you understand the total part of His argument here. But the question is, what is the purpose of warning the entire church, which includes the elect, that some may fall away? In other words, it makes sense uh, for those uh, with true faith to hear about uh, comfort. Uh, It doesn't make sense, however, to, to do what appears to be threatening the elect who don't have to fear uh, falling away. So if you think about this, if, if the elect are supposed to be scared that they might apostatize, then they will want all of a sudden to redouble their efforts in obedience. 
but this effectively denies God's election and work in them and posits perseverance as something that is based on their efforts, not God's. Nevertheless, the warning about falling away is heard by the elect, but it is not to scare them. There is a warning issued to all of you, but it's not to scare you. The proper effect is that they don't want to be lazy and fall away because that is not the way they are. That is not true of them. So when you hear this warning, you say, that is not true of me. The reprobate will fall away, yes, but not me because I am God's elect. The warnings then are to encourage the elect that dullness and laziness are not traits consistent with their calling as God's elect, you see. The elect should not worry that they might be lost. Rather, they should be compelled to understand how important their election and calling and faith is. That the deception of apostasy is a live option should waken you up and will wake you up to the fact of a spiritual battle in which you are engaged, you see. If you don't care, then that's a bad sign. But if you hear the warning and care, that's a great sign. It's like the elect, that's you, are watching actors playing out the truth of something. They see the truth in the play, identifying themselves with the elect and not the reprobate. And so if this were the case, you would say this, I'm one of the elect and I will persevere in the faith because of the strength of God. If that is true, then I need to stay firm in my faith in God through Christ. It's about Him and what He's done for me, not what I do or how I might fall away. Therefore, any fear associated with these warnings is alleviated by the work of Jesus Christ. The author closes this passage on that note. The reality of apostasy doesn't belong to them, the author says, but the reality of being saved. Brothers and sisters, we believe better things of you, things that belong to salvation. Those in the church have demonstrated gratitude and the wish is that they continue to do so until the end so they won't be sluggish or dull. It's really to sharpen you, isn't it? Rather, they and you are to imitate those who have gone before you inheriting the promises. The promises of God to save His people resulted in God speaking to the fathers through the prophets in times past and has resulted in God speaking today through His Son. The work of God in Christ hems you in from behind as you identify yourself with the people who were brought through the Red Sea and made it to the Promised Land. And the work of Christ comes to you in the front, as it were, in the future as you taste the powers of the age to come. The work of Jesus to do the law and to suffer death in your place is not lost on you as you thank God for it. So in conclusion there will always be a struggle with dullness or laziness, not caring to grow in your faith. Join the crowd. All Christians struggle with that. It's a sin. It is important to repent of this sin or it may lead to the final stage of denying Christ and falling away. Again, this is a warning for all in the church. It is not your place, however, to figure out if you're God's elect who will stay in the church 
or a reprobate who will fall away. Election or reprobation are a part of God's hidden decree, which is beyond searching out. You cannot climb up to the heavens and figure out if you are elect or not. Rather, as you are a member of the church, you are to hear the author's warning, believing that you are God's elect. If you are a member in good standing of the church, you are to believe that you are God's elect. After all, that is how the author approaches the issue, saying that there are better things pertaining to you, things of salvation, which assumes that they are God's elect. Likewise, the New Testament authors speak to the churches as God's elect. Those who are in a true church are to have assurance of their election, you see. It is only those who have left the church that don't have that assurance. Therefore, brothers and sisters, the full message of the author is that of comfort. His warning serves to remind you that dullness and apostasy are not consistent with who you are in Jesus Christ. Rather, your faith and hope are fully vested in Jesus Christ, who will never, never, ever let go of you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.